first one reminded me of Christ's faithfulness to pray for us, even when we're not always faithful to pray for others. Christ is praying for you and for me. And then this vision of glory, of the victory that we have in Jesus that we can rejoice in. But we come to the time when we confess our sins, when we humble ourselves and say, Lord, we're growing, but we're still not perfect, and we need your grace to keep going. We have the opportunity to confess our faith together, once again through the words of the Westminster Larger Catechism. I will read the question, and then let's all respond together. Question 78, why are believers not completely sanctified? Believers are not completely or perfectly sanctified because they retain the remnants of sin throughout their whole being and are continually plagued with desires of their old sinful nature that are contrary to the Spirit. Consequently, believers are frequently defeated by temptation, commit many sins, and are hindered from performing their spiritual obligations. Question 79. Since true believers are imperfect, are tempted, and commit sin, can they fall out of their state of grace? Because of God's unchangeable love, he has decreed and made a covenant with believers that they will persevere, that they are inseparably united to Christ, who continually intercedes for them, and that the Spirit and the seed of God abide in them. Consequently, they can never completely or finally fall out of their state of grace because the power of God preserves their salvation through faith. Amen. Let's confess this prayer out loud together. Most merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed the desires of our own hearts. We have transgressed your holy laws. We have neglected the things you have commanded, and we have done those things which you have forbidden. But, O oh Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable of restore. Spare us, O oh God, who confess our faults. Restore us who are penitent, according to your promises declared unto us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O oh merciful Father, for Jesus' sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And we have this precious promise to us from Isaiah 44. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You will not be forgotten by me. I blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Jesus has come. I've taken care of all of it. You're my child. Look to me again. Turn from your sins and be assured that your sins are forgiven and that everything is good between you and between the Father because of Jesus. Amen. Now we have the opportunity to worship the Lord through giving. So I'm going to ask those who are going to help me help receive the morning's offering. I am going to ask you to come forward now as I lead us in prayer. Father, truly, we want to do everything through prayer. Even giving, Lord, can be done with a wrong motive. Lord Jesus, your word tells us to be cheerful givers. 
Help us, Lord, to be thankful and to recognize all that you have done for us and that you will take care of all of our needs, not only ours, Lord, but for our church family, especially those who are in need financially. We pray, God, that you would use these tithes and offerings, Lord, to bless your people here and to extend the gospel throughout the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And I would encourage you, especially if you use a, I don't know, a phone or iPad, maybe today would be a good day to use that Pew Bible because you're going to want to have the Bible open as we go. And I'll explain that in a moment. But Acts 10 is where we're going. And before I get into it, I want to say that the men's breakfast was fantastic yesterday. Brutes Holtzman shared his testimony. And one thing that I took away from what he had to say was how important math is. <laughs> Seriously. And if you have questions about that, Bruce is back there. You can wave. He'll tell you all about it. But truly, you know, kids say in school, why do we have to learn this? I'm never going to use this. Didn't we learn yesterday how this stuff is used? 
Fascinating. Okay. So, this week Jerry called me and asked me if I would preach. I was like, all right. He said, preach what you want to. So, typically, when I have the opportunity to do that, I'll look at the previous message and think about an idea that maybe stuck out to me. And one of the things that stuck out to me from the message last week, which was from Hebrews 13, was the idea of Philadelphia and Philosenia. Philadelphia, meaning let brotherly love continue. You know, Philadelphia's on the brain today. Half half of you don't like Philadelphia, probably, or more. But Philadelphia was on my brain last week, this passage about let brotherly love continue. And then if you were here, you heard Pastor Jerry talk about philosenia, love for the other, loving or welcoming the other. And as I was thinking about what to preach, I thought about this passage. Part of it was I've been reading through Acts in my own Bible reading, so it was appropriate. I kind of just read it, and you'll see. We're going to kind of, we're going to go through this passage. It's, it's long. I admit it's long. I think I'm taking a risk by going through a passage this long. But we're going to kind of go through it, and I'm going to give some comments about it that I think would help us along the way, and then more toward the end, there'll be some more application. I'll kind of bring it all together. So, a little bit of context for the book of Acts, if you haven't thought about it or studied it. Acts 1 is the time when Jesus is with his disciples. He's about to ascend into heaven, and he's giving these final instructions. They're spending time with him, and he tells them, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come. So they're all gathered together. They're praying. But Jesus had said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. And that verse lays out the pattern of the entire book, the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem, because in Acts 2, the Spirit comes down upon the apostles. Peter preaches before he had been very timid, before he had been so fearful of associating with Jesus that even a girl who called him out and said, hey, weren't you with that Jesus? Three times, Peter denies that he knows Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He preaches this message. He preaches the gospel boldly to all who have been gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. 3,000, probably more. It says 3,000 were added to that number. Almost certainly more were, were added when you factor in families and those who were there. And then the gospel continues to spread. So Acts really records the history, the story of the Holy Spirit working in and through the early church to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. My stepdad called me yesterday, and he said, I have a question for you. And I said, okay. He said, "Uh, what do you say to people who think that the gospels are inspired? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But then the rest of the New Testament, it's like up to interpretation. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I'm just a a red-letter Christian. I believe, oh, he was saying more in the context of Jesus never talked about homosexuality. So you will hear some people say, Jesus never talked about homosexuality, so it doesn't matter what I do. My answer was, from reading the book of Acts recently, 
the Spirit came upon the disciples. They preached boldly just like Jesus did. The response was the same. Many believed, but then there was also opposition. There was rejoicing at new believers added, but then there was opposition. Just as Jesus said, in this life you will be persecuted, you, know, you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. The things, that Je- the things that you see Jesus doing in the Gospels, you see in the book of Acts, but his disciples have the Spirit, and they're spreading the word, and they're healing people and doing these things in Jesus' name. And you've got a believing response, and then you've got opposition. Same thing that happened when Jesus ministered in Galilee. And it dawned on me even last week that it really is proof that Jesus was with them because they're speaking boldly and healing people and people are being saved and they're getting the same response. Isn't it amazing? It's proof to me that Jesus was speaking through them. And then you see Paul, who had been persecuting the church, gets saved. Jesus confronts him on the road. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's like, I wasn't persecuting you. I was just persecuting these people who were Christians. He took it personal. So Jesus speaks in the Gospels, of course, but he speaks in Acts, which we're going to read about today. He speaks in the epistles. It's all him speaking. And then the book of Revelation, it's his word. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. So don't let anybody who doesn't know that much about the Bible and its context shake your faith. Amen? So, as we get to Acts 10, we see that for the gospel to go out from Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, some walls need to be broken down. Some walls need to be broken down, as we'll learn in Acts 10. And here's the big idea. Because God loves the other, we too must love the other. Remember last week we heard about loving the other. Today's passage is really a, a truthful, a true illustration of how this worked out. So here's what we're going to do. I've got this in different sections, really the same sections that you have in your Bible probably. I'm going to read through it, make a few comments, and just keep going. You with me? Let's pray before we go any further. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. You're already here. You're working I ask that we be submissive to you, that what is said and heard would be glorifying to you, Lord Jesus, and Father, be pleased to bless us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 10, verse 1. This is God's word. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, who is, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he, being Cornelius, called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among the, those who attended him 
And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So that's the first, first section. Of, if, you, if you're standing, you could sit if you want to. Okay, meet Cornelius. Cornelius is a man of means, says that he's a centurion, which I looked it up, and it meant that he commanded 100 men. So he's a military man. Maybe he's retired. We don't know for sure. But you'll see in the passage, he had a lot going for him. Look at verse 2. He was what was known as a God-fearer, which means he was a Gentile who devoted himself to God but had not gone all the way to become a Jew. I don't think I need to say anything more about that. But he didn't go all the way. You could become a Jew. No matter what nation you came from, you could become part of God's people. Think of uh, Ruth. Think of others in the Old Testament. It didn't happen that often, but you could join God's people and become uh, a Jew. But Cornelius hadn't taken that step. But as, if you, as you think about this description of Cornelius, I hope you see, as I see, that he seemed to be a very good guy. So here's my first application. If he were your neighbor, would you be praying for the opportunity to tell him about Jesus? Or would you leave him alone? Again, this is kind of a different time period, but uh, Jesus didn't just come for the, the really, really bad people. I know He came for the upright citizens too. But the angel showed up when Cornelius was praying, and even though he was terrified, in a sense, he was prepared for the vision. So it's no coincidence that he was praying. It says he prayed continually. So on this particular day, he was praying, and this angel showed up. So you met Cornelius, now you meet the angel. Here's my translation or paraphrase of what the angel said. Cornelius, I am the answer to your prayers. Or actually, my coming is the answer to your prayers. And what did he say to do? Send men to Joppa to bring Peter. I looked it up. It's 30 miles away. 30 miles from here is the White House. Not too far away. But they didn't have cars. And we see that Cornelius obeys. All right, passage two. How long did I go? I didn't take that long for that section. Passage number two, Acts 10, verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw that the heavens, and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Peter, or rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So it says Peter was praying at the sixth hour, which is about noon. 
I thought it was cool how God worked providentially through Peter's hungry belly. Did you catch that? But prayer had prepared him to hear from God. So this vision comes, and what does Peter say? It's kind of funny you think about it. He, Peter's staying at his friend's house. He says, I'm hungry. Apparently, someone else is preparing food for him. He sees this vision come down of all these different animals, and the voice says, Peter, rise, kill, eat. So the voice is saying, you, you just chase it down. You get it. You eat this stuff. And he says, by no means, Lord. Contrast that back to verse 4 with what Cornelius said. What is it, Lord? Interesting. Up to this point, Peter had lived by the Jewish dietary laws. You could read all about them in Leviticus and other places. And those laws, in, in a short summary, were to keep God's people distinct. They worshiped the one true God. All the neighboring countries and peoples worshiped many gods. And this was just one of the ways that they were distinct. But God's answer to Peter's, it's interesting, he doesn't have a problem rebuking Jesus or this voice from heaven. Remember, Peter, after he had confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the next passage he says, when Jesus is talking about going to the cross and dying and rising from the dead, Peter takes him aside and says, that's not going to happen to you. And he says, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So there's obviously changes that need to take place in Peter's mind and in his heart and in his lifestyle. Because God's answer was, what God has made clean, do not call common. And how did this happen? Basically, by what God had just told him to do. We see later in Acts 15, when there are, uh, debating whether or not Gentiles who become Christians need to be circumcised. They dealt with all that, and the answer was basically no. God has accepted them, they believe, and we all stand on the same footing as members of God's household. All right, next passage. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. So we see after this vision, Peter is inwardly perplexed. 
And I say, oh, if we would be more inwardly perplexed as we meditate on God's word and truth and maybe not assume that we understand it as well as we do. Oh, that we would give ourselves time to say, wow, this is really interesting or this challenges me. Just a thought. So you have this picture of these men sent by Cornelius. They, they make it to Joppa 30 miles away. And I just picture them in the town. Hey, Simon here? No, 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 down, down by the water, by the, tan, the tanner's house, he's there. So you just see them, I don't know, they'd never been there probably. So this shows that God is providentially bringing these people together. Do you see it? Peter is able to hear from the Holy Spirit that he should go with these men without hesitation. Why? Because God had sent them. And you see the relationship already starting to be formed. God was beginning to work in Peter's heart. He invites them into the house. They stay. They talk. I don't know. Maybe Peter learns more about Cornelius and his reputation. But by way of application, spending time with people matters. The, the winter warm-up today matters. They're not just going to talk about whatever. You might have to talk about whatever to kind of get to how are you doing. I can live with that. But it matters, building relationships, because as you build relationships, then it's easy to call or text someone and say, hey, pray for me. I'm struggling, or I have a need in my life. Help me. You're less likely to call upon someone for help if you have no relationship. Same with our relationship with God. Next passage, halfway through verse 23. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called them, called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. I want you to see in verse 23 especially that all little details are important. When you read the Bible, some uh, narrative sections are very compressed and condensed, and you can say a whole lot in a very little section. But as we've noticed, Acts 10 is a long section, 48 verses. Each, de each detail is important. And here's what I'm trying to point out. In verse 23, it says that Peter brought with him some of his Christian brothers. He didn't go alone. 
And we'll see later that they have a very important part of the story. So just keep that in your mind. But Cornelius knew that this meeting was a big deal. His relatives and close friends were there. It's interesting, they didn't know exactly. How could you know exactly when they would arrive? Kind of like my installation service. (laughs) You were all here, ready. And everything worked out, and we heard the gospel, didn't we? Amen. But this was a big deal, so big of a deal that he wasn't worried about inconveniencing his friends and his close family members to be there, ready for when Peter arrived at the exact moment that he came. You see it? So Cornelius had tremendous zeal, but not as much knowledge. He, he bows down and worship. You could tell he's so excited. He's so excited that he bows down. We don't know if he's worshiping him or if he's just like trying to show this tremendous honor, but Peter's like, no, I'm just a man. But stop and picture for a moment Peter looking around at the room. You know, I don't know. Peter and Cornelius are talking together as they're coming into the room, and he just looks and sees all these people that he would never imagine going into their house. And this is where God had sent him. They were ripe to hear God's word from Peter. And when I read that, it's stunning. So further changes in Peter are revealed. He says, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And this is just a side note, but it would have been awfully hard for the disciples to carry out God's mission without the revoking of the ceremonial law. Do you understand? Previously, he wouldn't have been able to go into their house. God needed to work in Peter's heart and mind to change him so that he could be there for this moment. Then he asked Cornelius, why did you send for me? So we're going to find out. Verse 30, you with me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. we see once again that Cornelius prioritized prayer. He was ready to hear from God, ready to obey and send for Peter. And I ask the question to you, do we prioritize prayer? State of the Union was this week. I didn't watch it. I heard about it. I know, as, as we complain about 
local politics, national politics, state politics? Are we praying for these people? I do. <clears throat> I do. And sometimes I have even have the opportunity to meet them. Cornelius obeyed God promptly. Do you see that? For Peter, it took a little bit more convincing. He was pretty set in his ways. But God didn't give up on him. Cornelius was grateful. Just look at the way that he set up this meeting with all the people there. He says, um, you have been kind enough to come. He's grateful. He's ready. And he says, we are all here in the presence of God. Worship. We're all here in the presence of God right now from beginning to end. In Reformed and Presbyterian worship, God gets the first word and God gets the last word. We didn't call ourselves to be here. God says through his word that we read this morning, Jesus says, I'm seeking worshipers who will worship me in spirit and truth. That's your invitation to the party. That's your invitation to worship, to be in God's presence. So everything that we do here matters. The praying, the singing, the giving, the listening, you are all full participants, even though right now I'm the one who's speaking. And in other churches, and if Francis is here, he's speaking and responding. And I invite you to do that. But God is present in the preaching of the word with his people. Believe it. It matters what you do. I was visiting with Dick and Donna Littlefield this week on my way back from Rockbridge to see Caleb and some of my old seminary friends and uh, new pastors' friends that I had met. So I was on my way back, and I called Donna and said, hey, can I drop by? So got to visit with her and Dick and with their daughter, Laura. And they were talking about Dick's schedule for the day and what he needed to do. And he needed to get a haircut, and he was going to go to the choir. And they were trying to figure out what to prioritize. And the decision was made that the choir was important, that the haircut, I mean, he doesn't look like a hippie. His hair isn't super long. It was decided that he didn't need to get a haircut that day, that the choir was more important. And Dick said, but I don't even have a very good voice. And Laura said, well, it's not just your voice that you bring to the choir. I thank God for that, because I'm not the best singer in the family. There are others who have been blessed. But it doesn't matter. Let the, let the strong singer sing louder. My friend Glenn Parkinson says, Sit near the people in the church that you want to sing with or sing close to them so that maybe if your voice isn't as strong, you could sort of like hide behind their voice and sing. Do whatever it takes. Singing is not optional. Find me a verse in the Bible that says you could sing, you can't if you don't want to. You can worship, but you don't have to. No. Next passage. Verse 34, 
So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What is partiality? Favoritism. One who unjustly treats one person better than another. This passage tells me, it told Peter that no one is off limits to God. He doesn't just call one kind of person. He calls all kinds of person, from all kinds of backgrounds. So no one's off limits to God. He welcomes all. Why? Because Jesus is Lord of all. He's not just Lord of this little area. You even see that in the Old Testament. God was there from the beginning creating it all. But then as the story of the patriarchs works out, different people believe different things. And yet there is one true God. Verse 43, we often use this verse for our assurance of pardon. Do you remember? Have you heard us say that before? I was encouraged that the original context was in a witnessing encounter. Even though we read it in a church at some frequency. When I thought about the section, I thought about Augustine's City of God. Quick history lesson from church history. Augustine lived toward the end of the 300s AD and early 400s. And he was one whom his mom prayed for. He was eventually converted. He became a great leader in the church and theologian. So 410 AD, the Visigoths come and invade Rome. The city of Rome is sacked. You've all probably learned in school about history, the Pax Romana, the 200 years of peace. Things are not going so great for the Roman Empire. And everybody's looking at each other, wondering what is happening. Some, many, blame the Christians. They said, look what happens. All these Christians are worshiping one God, and this pantheon of Roman gods that we've accumulated through conquering all these lands and peoples. They're not getting the respect that they deserve and they've forgotten about us. And it's a Christian's fault why the empire is going down. 
Augustine takes his pen and writes a thousand page book that my professor said he should have had an editor. <laughs> but he writes this book, The City of God, to, to give an answer to those who would say that Christianity is the reason for the fall of the Roman Empire. But he also writes it to encourage Christians to stay faithful, even if they're persecuted. And it kind of goes like this. There's the city of man, and there's the city of God. We are all citizens of the city of man. Davidsville, Anne Arundel County, Calvert County. You look at, if you have a driver's license, it says where you live, where you're a citizen of, we're a citizen of the United States. But as Christians, we are also citizens of heaven. We learn in Philippians. Our citizenship is in heaven. Both are true. Here's what Augustine said. Those Visigoths who came and sacked the city, some of those Visigoths are going to be ones who hear the gospel and believe. And on the last day are going to be your brothers and your neighbors. And then these Roman citizens, the one who lives next door to you, that you do business with, that your kids play together, those Roman citizens who don't believe are going to be cast into judgment into the lake of fire. At the end of time, you're going to have more in common with those Visigoths that believe than you do with the neighbor who lives next to you. So it changes the way that we think about our neighbors. It changes the way we think about our political participation. We participate and we want to make this as good of a place as it can be. We want our streets to be safe. We want people to have every opportunity that they deserve. But we, we hold true to the fact that we are citizens of heaven, first and foremost. And I think it's a wonderful a wonderful truth to ponder. So we must be careful. We must discern. We must take Romans 12, 1 and 2 seriously. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may approve what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I have different roles here at the church. I came here as a youth director, became a youth pastor. People will come to me and say, thank you, Pastor Nick, for teaching our youth. Thank you, Pastor Nick, for teaching them the truth in a world that is trying to push them away and lead them astray. And I say, thank you very much. I'm blessed and happy to be able to do that. And it is right for anyone to say that to me if they really think that I'm doing a good job. But sometimes I wonder if my generation and the older generations imagine that we are not also influenced by the world that we don't need Romans 12, 1 and 2 as much as our children and teenagers do. So if you're blessed enough to make it through 
high school and college years and you're still calling yourself a Christian, you didn't cross the finish line. You got the rest of your life to live and discern and be like Cornelius and be like Peter who faithfully listened to God's word, faithfully prayed and were ready to hear from God and were ready to do this amazing thing. Last section. Ready? Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Remember when I mentioned them? They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. When Peter opened his mouth and said what he knew, when he said what he had witnessed, the connection was made. The connection was made. It was just like Pentecost, and it was undeniable that these in Cornelius' house had believed. These Gentiles had now become believers in Jesus, and no one can withhold them from being baptized because God had clearly welcomed the other. Remember, that's what we're talking about. God welcoming the other. And Peter and his fellow Christian brothers must love and welcome the other too. They were like, the Holy Spirit fell on these guys? Again, Peter just brought them along. I don't know why. A new family is forged. Jesus is the one who brings them all together. When you hear the word Chicago... What comes to your mind? Probably not good stuff. Um, When you think of Chicago, I would like you to think of me. I was born in Blue Island, Illinois, which is a suburb right outside the city limits in Cook County. My parents divorced moved us to a place that I didn't want to go to, Kankakee, Illinois. You've never heard of that unless you've heard me talk about it. <laughs> um, my stepdad married a single mom with three kids. My mom confronted him about an area of sin in his life. He repented. Either he came to the Lord for the first time or he came back to the Lord. He shared the gospel with me when I was 10. And God called me to the ministry when I was 16 through a ministry at my public high school, Youth for Christ. And I'm here to teach the gospel to you as best I know it and to live the life that Jesus wants me to live 
When you hear the words Prince George's County, what do you think about? Some of you live there now. Many of you grew up, were born and raised there. So I hope you see yourself in the mirror. Or Glen Burnie. Obviously, God was working in these places. Amen? Or else we wouldn't be here. So when I hear some of us speak about Chicago or Prince George's County or Glen Burnie or whatever, it's not wrong that you moved away. Maybe you had to move away. But we should have a little more humility when we take the resources away and we take the influence away and then we just say, shame, shame. Those those public schools in Prince George's County or Washington, D.C. or anywhere else. I would hope that you would pray. I would hope that there would be more prayers for these places and less hand-wringing. Praying more and saying less. That's a song that we have at Youth Group on the playlist. Stop talking and pray less because God's doing way more with way less. Address these issues. Be present here in our community. Be present in your neighborhood. Be prayerful. Yes, you are a citizen of this world, but you're also a citizen of heaven. I would like us, through the help of the Holy Spirit, to reflect that more. God loves the other. Really, the way that God loves the other, we are the other. All of us are the other. God the Son came down from heaven. He left the best neighborhood, the best community, and came to save you and me. It doesn't matter if we were respectable in our sins. It didn't mean if we were like living wild or if we just, I don't know, look good on the outside but inside full of darkness. Jesus came to save the other. Jesus came to love the other, welcome us in. He wants us to learn more and more to welcome the other and bring in his family. Our county, our town, wherever he would send us. Let's pray. Lord, you are powerful. You are the hero of this story. You needed to change Peter. You needed to help Cornelius progress toward faith in you. And Lord, we marvel at all that you did. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fall upon us, that we would be just like the people in this story who were redeemed and became a part of your mission, to be witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Help us, Lord, and have mercy on us in Jesus' name. Amen.